Hey, John Thorne. Great to see John Thorne. I haven't seen John Thorne in a long time. Fantastic. Uh, you know, I remember moving here. Oh, man. 1989. In 1989. And, um, boy, I don't have a lot of time. There's a lot of stories. There's so many stories. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, went to school in Washington to play basketball. Got really depressed and, um, you know, so much of your life pivots on what you do when you're really down. And I transferred. I transferred down to UC San Diego. Um, went to a Bible talk, got met, started studying the Bible, joined the ultimate Frisbee team. There wasn't anything else to do in San Diego. Surfed a little bit. Tried not to go to class. I didn't say that. Students go to class. And uh, this guy came through town. And he says, hey, we're going to Los Angeles. We're going to plant a church. I go, well, I don't know anything. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that's about. I don't know anything about that. I just got to get to calculus class tomorrow morning, right? And he goes, no, really, you know, we, we need students to go up to UCLA and transfer because that's going, to be, that's going to be one of the hubs of the whole church. And I said, okay, well, I get up early the next morning and I go out in this field to pray. And um, this is what you got to know about God, right? He's funny. And I just grab a rock and I go, God, I don't want to move to L.A. I don't want to have anything to do with it, right? I, my life is set up so great right here in San Diego. I tell you what, though, there's a tree way out there. I'm just going to throw this rock, and if I hit the tree, then okay, I'll go on the mission team. <laughs> and I hadn't applied, you know, it was the middle of summer, and it, everybody was, all the deadlines were passed. And of course, you know how God is. You hit the tree, I was like, no way! No way! Okay, two out of three. Two out of three. No way that happened. And, uh, you know, I've been busy surfing and trying to have a lot of fun. Um, and right at that time, you know, that old movie, um, Colors. Remember that old movie, Colors? That old movie, Colors, came out. I said, well, if I'm going to go to L.A., uh, everybody's praying for the celebrities. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to find some gangsters. I'm going to find some gangsters. Maybe we can convert some gangsters. Um, there's got to be a club you join or something. I don't know. <laughs> where, do you, where, would you, where do you even go? So, I transferred to UCLA. My dad was a marine biologist. I'm fast-forwarding through all these stuff. And I was going to be a fish farmer. So, I'm going, to, I'm going to major in biology, and I'm going to raise fish because fish are awesome. <laughs> and people eat fish. End of story. <laughs> so, uh, there I am, UCLA Biology. And it's a long story short... But I pray, God, God, help me, you know, I don't know how to reach out to the gangsters. Got to get into the city, you know, that's where it's about. Take my surfboard down there and my fish. See if someone will hang out with me. <laughs> so, uh, there's a job board. Get a job. Yeah, I got to get a job. Bourbon Day High School, which is right in the middle of Watts. And uh, I say, hey, we need a, I go down there, I go, hey, I'm here. And this big guy comes up to me, shakes my hand, it's August, he says, Thanks so much for coming. You're, you're hired. I said, that is great. What, uh, what's the job? <laughs> and he says, oh, you're the biology and the chemistry teacher. And I go, oh, 
I love that, but I don't have a credential. And uh, you know, to be really honest, it is an interview, right? I, I don't even—I haven't even graduated. <laughs> Look where we are. We're in the middle of Watts. Uh, they don't come down here and check on uh, our credentials. We haven't seen those guys in a long time, so. As long as you don't say anything, we won't say anything. <laughs> he goes, anyway, but thanks for being honest. You know, I'm not even really the principal. The principal just quit. <laughs> he quit. I'm the football coach. <laughs> awesome. And he goes, but I have seniority, so I'm in charge. And we got a great team this year, and I'm not going to waste my time teaching biology and chemistry. So let me, here's the books. Please come on Monday morning. Just whatever, that's a good school. Whatever they're teaching you, just teach us. We'd be happy. And um, come to the game Friday night. This is going to be our year, right? <laughs> so, so I backed into teaching. And, uh, you know, then you start teaching, and really school started the next week. <laughs> um, but you have that moment. You go, God, I prayed to be here, and I did pray to get into the city, and I don't know any gangsters yet, but I'm sure I'm going to find a lot of them down here. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just in your hands. It's one of those moments where you don't really know what God is doing to your life, but He is calling you. And that first morning, I was so nervous. I mean, I never had done any public speaking. Um, you know, I did a lesson on density. That was my first density. I don't know. And, and I went through all my notes. I go, this is, I must be going super long. Okay, that's it, guys. Wow, that was great. Thank you for coming. You know, and I'd gone like 10 minutes. <laughs> what are we going to do for another 40 minutes? Um, but I just fell in love with the kids. And I fell in love with teaching, and I fell in love with following, with uh, working with people. And of course, being on the mission team up here, you fall in love with a city. We did so much um, with, the, with the church in the early years, just always reaching out to people. We studied the Bible with so many people. Uh, it was so great to see George Yang baptized. Uh, remember when Dat was studying the Bible? Studying the Bible with Dat and Ackerman Union. Counting the cost. Dad, look, what you're, you're Vietnamese, right? Yeah, I'm Vietnamese. Well, we're this church, and we send a lot of people back out to where they're from. you got to really think about going back to Vietnam. And I thought he was going to come over the table and strangle me. And nobody had ever had that response before. They usually go, yeah, whatever, no big deal. And he goes, you don't know my story. We came over. It's a big story. It's a big story. I can't go back to Vietnam. Everybody in my family will kill me. <laughs> okay, well, you got a lot to think about. Um, <laughs> this place is great, though. There's pizza and tacos and all kinds of stuff. We'll work it out. We'll work it out. And you guys know Dad's story. And, of course, he got baptized and went back to Vietnam. And went back to Vietnam. Um, And married a great woman and has done so many great things with their life. So, turn in your Bibles. Um, Where am I going to go today? I think I learned this first from Preston Shepard. we got Genesis 11. I put that up there. Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 so that you would go with me to Acts chapter 7. Go over to Acts chapter 7. 
heard Preston do this years ago, and it really helped me understand a lot of what was going on in the Bible and a lot of what was going on in Genesis. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is about to be martyred, and he's going to give his defense for his faith. He's going to make this great speech. And he starts with Abraham. Like all of their speeches, they always go back to their past. And in verse 2, he simply says, To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So if you go to Acts Genesis chapter 11, we see Abraham and his father and their family, they have left Ur, i got a map here in a minute, and they go up to Haran, and then they come down into the Promised Land. But the Promised Land is south of the river, south of the Euphrates. Just remember that. West of uh, sort of Ur and all that area, Mesopotamia. North of Sinai in the desert and obviously um, east from the, um, from the uh, Mediterranean. I'm going to hit that in a minute. Everyone has a strategy until they get punched in the face. Just remember that. <laughs> so here's my map. i got a laser on here somewhere. But you can see. So see the red line? This is where he starts. That's Ur. And God tells him to leave his father and to leave his family and go to the promised land. But what Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7 is he went to Haran. And as you can see, Haran is north of the Euphrates. And as you see in Genesis chapter 11, who's still with him? His father. And so he did one of these classic things that so many of us do. God calls us, and we take a step forward, but nothing works out the way we thought it was supposed to work out, and we sort of panic, and we compromise, and we do something kind of in the middle. And so then when we get the famous call in Genesis 12, God, God calls Abraham, Abraham, Come, follow me. Come to the promised land. He gives him the seven great promises. He's still in Haran. This is the second time he's called him. His father dies in Haran. He gets the second call and he crosses the river and comes down into the promised land. And so many of us, I see so many Christians, and most of us, if not all of us, have experiences like this. Jesus calls us, God calls us, and He wants what? He wants all of our heart. He wants all of our lives. He wants all of our resources. He wants all of our soul. And we get out there and it hurts and it's hard and it's confusing. So we give Him some of it. We go to Haran with Dad still with us. No, I'm supposed to go to the Promised Land by myself with Him. And so you got to watch. you got to watch what God is doing and what He's saying in this relationship that you're building with them because He wants everything. And a lot of us still live in Haran. And I don't think we're going to have the God 
experiences that we're so desperate for until we leave Haran and give them everything. And so that's a little bit why we had up there. I think he had a plan. Abraham had a plan. I'm going to follow God. There's this great call. It sounds exciting. But when his dad says, no, I'm coming with you, and there's something about the promised land that's hard, obviously living along the river there would probably be a lot easier. He feels kind of punched in the face. Hey, I expected one thing, but life gave me something else. And he gets stuck all over again in Haran. So that's a little bit of what, what we're talking about a little bit today. With the great history here in the Los Angeles church, with the great history that we have in the West region. We have so many great memories. I, I went up, I had to get coffee up at the Starbucks this morning in Westwood. And um, I remember, I go, gosh, this is amazing. I remember when we first got here, this was an arcade. Right? None of the students would have any idea what that even is, right? Get a pocket full of quarters. I saw Devon there, right? Playing Pac-Man. <laughs> Miss Pac-Man. <laughs> there's a sandwich store, and there's a kebab store, and then I don't know what they did. And then it was Starbucks. Every place has history. And every corner for us, oh man, so many memories. Falling in love with Tanya. I lived on uh, Veteran, and she lived up on um, Gailey on the corner there. And I used to go out every night. I used to go out every night and pray. And I'd go up, and God be with the ministry. We're studying the Bible with these guys and bless those guys. And then I'd turn right, and her apartment was right there. And God, whatever you do, change that woman's heart. <laughs> Please change that woman's heart. I love that girl. Uh, what do I do? What do I got to God, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And, you know, pray and then come back around and then try and get spiritual again. And God, we pray for all the sin of the city and the world. And, and God heard my prayer. God heard my prayer. So look over in your Bibles uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is where I really want to camp. This is a great passage, and I really hope that you leave today thinking about God, thinking about His Word, and thinking about your life. And hopefully this passage really encourages you uh, in that way. Peter says in chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Great passage for our students, right? All the students, we've got to love that one. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Wow, there's a sermon. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. This is a great word, to conform. Um, we can all sort of play around with how to pronounce this. Suskematizo. Suskematizo. Suskematizo is the word in the Greek. And it has to do, obviously, they would use this word, they might use this word for whirlpools. Whirlpools. Suskematizo. 
These big patterns. These big patterns that sort of suck everything in. Huge patterns, huge forces that suck everything in. And we use the word, the word that they use there in the NIV is conform. You know, so much of what we do this week is what we did last week. And a lot of what we did last week was what we did the week before. And a lot of our lives look a lot like our dad's lives. And my dad's life, in some ways, looked a lot like his dad's life. And we study this a lot, these big patterns that become largely invisible, and you can't see them. But they have incredible shaping power over your life. So much of what you believe is because of what you've grown up with in your culture and with your family and and all these things. And we've got to think about what's really inside of us. Prepare your minds for action. Self-control. Set your mind fully on the hope. You've got to be in control of your thoughts and your emotions and know what's going on in there. But there's huge forces in our world that are putting pressure on us. There was a tremendous story on ESPN about a month or two ago. On the, um, it ended up, if you look it up, it's in the ESPNW for the women. And it's a story about this young woman named Madison Holleran. I don't know if anybody saw that. Madison Holleran story? The Madison Holleran story? So I believe she's... Um, I don't remember where she's from, but she got a, she was a soccer player in high school and a cross country runner and a straight A student and, um, you know, fill in the blanks. Everything's great. Everything looks great. She got a full ride scholarship to run cross country at Penn. And she transfers up or she goes up there and she gets set up and, and they do the story. The whole time they're doing the story, they're, they flash and reference her Instagram account. And then, you know, here's some more about her story, and it's the Facebook pictures. And here's some more about her story, and it's the Instagram account. And in every picture, you know this, in every picture, what does she look like? Perfect. And she's smiling, and she's with her friends, and she's running, or she's got a trophy, and she's hugging somebody, and she's at a party. She looks perfect. She really struggled with depression. And she couldn't tell anybody about it. She couldn't tell anybody about it. Who do you talk to? And if I talk to somebody, what are they going to say? Especially on social media today, it's going to be out all over the place. I can't let anybody know. Take more pictures and just smile. And right before Christmas, ninth story building, she jumped off and killed herself. And nobody saw this coming. And it's one of the most amazing things. You watch the story, and obviously you sort of know where it's going. But again, it's so jarring to see all the Instagram pictures and all the Facebook pictures. And she looks so perfect. And they interviewed the dad, and the mom couldn't be interviewed. But there's a lot of depression in the family. And there's a lot of problems stuffed away in closets somewhere. And nothing's talked about. And nothing's dealt with. But we take our pictures and we post them because we've got to look good. 
And this is the kind of thing that's killing a lot of our kids. They feel trapped. I can't put an average picture of myself up. That'll look terrible. Right? Take that one off, right? God, no, whatever you do, don't double tap on the picture. And there's these huge forces still shaping how we think and how we live and our behavior, which informs a lot of our emotions, a lot of our anxiety, and a lot of our depression. So I remember getting, um, going back to school, sort of, where am I going to go? And um, it was a little late to do fish farming. I'm going to go to therapy school. How do you be a therapist? And I didn't know the difference between, you know, um, Freud and a fruitcake. I really didn't know. I didn't. I was a biology major. I didn't know Freud. And you know, you read some books and you do some papers and they go, okay, you're ready. Here's your. You got to do some hours now. Hours, good. Three thousand hours. Three thousand. 3,000 hours of sleeping? 3,000 hours of eating? 3,000 hours of what? 3,000 hours of just being with people. 3,000 hours. Whoa. And, and they, put you, they put me in a hospice, and they put me in a, in a mental health clinic. And for, I don't know, at that time, 15 years, most of my life had turned into being up front, telling everybody how to live their lives. And then I ended up in a hospice, and I remember the first one, and, and they want me to lead a group. And this family had just lost their 30-year-old kid. Uh, he drunk himself to death. And then this guy was gay, and he lost his partner. And this lady had lost her husband, and there was a guy that had lost his wife, and then some others sort of came and went. And I realized, gosh, I'm back, I'm back in God's hands. He's, he's sending me kind of in the other direction now. Now, instead of doing all the talking, I've got to do some real listening. I gotta really listen. And there's nothing I'm gonna say. I'm so used to leading a group and saying, bro, la 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 la. <laughs> now go do, okay? Let's not la 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 anymore. And now there's no words. And now there's no words. You just listen, you just be with people. You go to the mental health clinic. Wow, that was hard. Hospice is, wow, that was hard. Uh, who are you? Sorry. <coughs> I do that all the time. Uh, what, do you, what is your problem? I have schizophrenia. Schizophrenia? I'm in the wrong place. I thought, I am in the wrong place. I don't know, what I, I don't know anything about schizophrenia. What happens to you? I hear these voices, and can't you hear them? There's a voice in the flag, and there's a voice, this light is saying, can't you hear what the light is saying? And the floor is doing all these things. I said, is it really? And I'm looking for the supervisor. <laughs> Just, you got to relate. you gotta, you got to connect. you got to relate. you got to relate. Connect. Relate. Okay. Okay. And he looks at me and says, you know, it's the voices. You hear voices, don't you? Relate, connect, relate, connect. Y- yes, of course. We all, who doesn't hear voices? <laughs> he goes, what do your voices say? What do your voices say? Oh no, I'm, I'm caught. Well, just coming over here. I got in the car, and when I got on the freeway, my wife's voice was right there. You'd love her, she's great, but she was saying... 
You're going too fast. And watch out for that car. Stop. You're a crazy man. The guy looked at me and he's like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I remember going home and just thinking, um, wow, you know, in the church, we're kind of in a lane. We're in a lane and there's a lot that's going on in the world outside of our lane. And I gotta listen, I gotta learn. And and it forces you to come back to what do I really believe? What's really important? What really counts? Um, I'll come back to that in a second. There's this old story about um, elephants. And this guy goes to the circus and he sees all the elephants, and they're all just tied together by this little tiny rope. Little tiny rope. Huge animal tied together, little tiny rope. The guy says, I thought elephants were smart. Why don't they just break through the rope? Wouldn't it be real hard just to... You've got a giant creature. You just got them on that little rope. Why don't you just break through the rope? Ah. From the time they're born, we put those little ropes on them. And when they're little, they can't break the rope. So as they grow up and mature and become old and huge, all they know is they're still connected to the rope. It's this little thing, but it's got this shaping power again of sort of stay in your lane and, and don't break out of that. Sort of a weird way to get into this story, but I'm driving with my daughter the other day, and um, I'd read an article years ago about how men lose their daughters when they become teenagers. That's that awkward transition, isn't that right? Right? When they're little, you just play, laugh, it's easy, they're just little. Now they're teenagers. And it's a teenage girl and, 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 and the dad, and that's a hard time to stay connected. And so we just jump into these conversations, and I, told, and I tell them this. I don't care what happens, guys, but we've got to stay connected, okay? We're going to keep talking. So I'm talking to my one daughter, and I say, um, we, should talk, we should talk about boys. And she immediately, you know, pulls out a phone or turns on music or windows. It gets a little antsy. And I go, so, you know, like, what, uh, what are you looking for in a guy? Oh, Dad, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to start the conversation either, okay? Um, so, what's a good guy? What's a good guy? Oh, I don't know, a good guy does this or that. I can't even remember. I go, I wasn't really that concerned about that. I go, what's a bad guy? That's what I'm more concerned about, right? Um... I don't know, Dad. Oh, we got a lot of work to do. So we did this thing. I go, I'm going to teach you about something. Red flags. Red flags. You've got to be able to recognize a red flag. Right? Recognize a red flag. What's a red flag? Dad, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, let's just start with the basics. How about like, um, have a job, not homeless. Okay, okay. That sounds pretty good. I go, okay, we started. That's good. Have a job. He's got a job. Okay, we're, we keep moving forward. Serious mental illness. How, what, watch out, right? Watch out. Red flag. Red flag. Dad, what is this about? I'm not sure, girl. I'm just trying to get you in a lane. I'm just trying to get you in a lane. There's, things, there's places where we want to live, and there's places where we don't want to live. And a lot of the Christians got to recognize these forces in our lives that make going forward 
really difficult. You know, I'm a child of an alcoholic, of alcoholic parents. Child of alcoholic parents, child of alcoholic parents. So when you've got those kind of traits and patterns in your life, you've got to be really cognizant and aware. I'm not a drinker. I could become an alcoholic, I think, though, in a day. Those forces are in our family. We've got really strong, addictive stuff going on in our family. And I've got to really watch out. But I remember studying the Bible and then talking to my dad about this and said, Dad, what's with all the drinking? What are we going to do? And it's a long story, but this is one of my dad's big costs in becoming a Christian was, was to give up drinking. And uh, counts the cost, gets baptized, incredible story. And a couple months later, he says, we've got to get together and have, have, have a sandwich, have lunch. And we, we're talking. And, and, you know, I remember my dad being sort of Spock-like, very scientific, very cerebral. And he's just crying. He says, Todd, this is the first time in all these generations in our family that we're going to change this pattern of addiction. You and I are the first non-drinkers in however many years in this family. And my brother and uncle and aunts. and I mean, it's everywhere. And this is what God gives us. God gives us a way out of these bad patterns that crush us. Some of us, we've been Christians 10, 20, 30 years. And we've really gone through some stuff now. We're dealing with death. We're dealing with trauma. We're dealing with a career that we hate, but we're 20 years in and it's too late to change. We're dealing with a marriage that's more than 20 years and it feels like it's too late to change. We're dealing with kids that are 20 and it feels like it's too late to change. We're dealing with a neighborhood that's 20 plus and it feels like it's too late to change. And there's stuff between you and I, but it's over 20 years and it's too late to change. But God's call, what God is telling us is that it's never too late to change. And all that frustration... Remember Romans 8, he talks about that. The creation groans in frustration. Why does God give us this beautiful place and then say, the creation groans in frustration? Because He puts us in a place that's hard, so we continually get back to Him. What really matters? You only get a couple things. You only get a couple of things that really matter. But you've got to choose it. You've got to choose what's going to really matter in your life. And then you've got to hold on to those things with everything you have. And it's messy. But this is how we build a life. All of our lives there's a, have shapes. And everybody's story is totally different. Just had such a great time with the Iranios when we were in the Philippines last year. And, you know, again, there's ways that we do church. There's ways that we reach out to people and we try and talk to people. And there's ways that we talk to them. And just listening to them was incredible to hear their stories, to hear about everybody. Who in the rooms lost a home? Lost a home? What a dumb question. Everybody in the room raises their hand. Uh, who in the room knows somebody that died? And just about everybody raises their hand. And everything's just, just ruined. 
and uh, just was really touched by a guy that started working for Hope named Russell. And Russell had gone through some real trauma recently. But he loved Hope, he loved God, and he loved reaching out to people. And one of our old models, one of our old church models is, we're going to have a minister come in and train people, and we're going to launch them out and start a new church. We, haven't done, we don't do a lot of that anymore. We used to do a lot of that. And this guy Russell's great. He goes, you know, we're not really doing that anymore. I'm going to this place on the other side of the island called Ormoke, Ormook, Ormook. And we're just going to build a community center and have people come in that need to come in, shelter, do positive parenting stuff, really just reach out to the community, and then we're going to have church services. And we're messaging each other back and forth. How did it go? How did it go? Oh, we had a church service and a hundred people came. And then hundreds more came. People are studying the Bible all over the place. We're calling all the brothers and sisters from the other churches to come in and help us study Bible with people. Are there any ministers there? No, we can't get anybody to come. How do you do a sermon? I felt like teaching, right? Oh, I got this. You do your first lesson on density. No. <laughs> but we've got to think about our models and how we do things. And sometimes we've got to update a lot of those models. Uh, oops, whoops. Oh, Alicia Keys, that's a good album. <laughs> Where'd I go, bro? Okay, good. I'll keep talking then. Look over in your Bibles to, um, oh, stay in that passage. This is my second and last point. First Peter chapter, first Peter chapter one. So he says, don't conform any longer. Don't conform. Watch out for that. That's a killer. Then in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Did you see that in verse 15? But just as He who called you. Just as He who called you. You know, God called us a long time ago. He called us a long time ago. He's still calling to us. He's calling, he was calling to you yesterday. He's calling to you now. He's going to call to you tonight. He's going to call to you again tomorrow morning. A little side note. In Genesis chapter 1, in the creation story, we get seven days of creation, right? Six days of creation, a day of rest. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, I hadn't noticed this. Someone pointed this out to me, and I love this. And he just says, at the end of each day, at the end of each day, he simply says, and there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the first day. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the second day. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the third day. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was the fourth day. You see a pattern, another pattern. But isn't it sort of curious I think of it the other way. I think there was morning and then day over, there was evening. We start in the morning and the day's over evening. But in Genesis 1, he says there's evening and then there's morning. There was evening and then there was morning. There was evening and then there was morning. I think there's darkness first and light second. I think there's darkness first and light second. And maybe you're a year old, maybe you're a day old, maybe you're just studying the Bible, maybe you're 30 years old as a Christian, but we still start in darkness and then move to light. We start in darkness and then we move to light. Back to 1 Peter 1. And so what does he do? He calls us. It's dark. It's evening. And then he calls us. It's dark and the sun goes down and I can't see. And then he calls us. I'm lost, and I don't know where I'm going. And then He calls us. 
I'm angry and I don't like my dad and I'm mad at my mom. And then he calls us. My husband is a jerk. I know. Trust me. And then he calls us. My kids are frustrating. They never do anything I ask them to do. And they're weird. And then he calls us. I hate my boss. He's a this and my job. It's a that. And then he calls us. And then he calls us. And then he calls us. So when he says be holy, and many of us in our Bibles have that holy Bible, and that's become this big word, all caps, holy. It's not that big a deal a word. It just means alien, foreigner, or different. Just different. So you're reading a holy book. Why? Because it's different. It's a different book. It's a separate book. Holy Bible. It's another kind of book. It's not like all the other books. It's a holy book. Why? Because it's different. And that's what he's asking us to do. He called you to be holy. He called you to be different. He called you to be holy. He called you to stand out. He called you to be holy. He called you to be at peace. He called you to be holy. He called us to be holy. He called us to be different from everybody else in our lane that is living one way. And we've got to break out of that and do something different. What's he saying to you? Be holy. He calls us to stand out. Calls us to be holy. So many needs out there. We had such a great dinner last night with the Chows and um, the Shumps. And we're just talking about L.A. and what's going on in the West and all these things. And we, and we always do this. We always come back to, oh my gosh, there's so many needs, right? There's so many needs, there's so many needs, there's so many needs. But then he calls us. Need is opportunity. Need is always opportunity. What do I do about my life as a Christian? What's the needs? Find needs. Open your eyes. Look around. You're going to find so much opportunity, and I think you'll hear a lot of calling. You know you found your calling. How do you know you found your calling? Students do this a lot. What do I major in? Don't, be, don't get into fish farming. There's no money in it. <laughs> you know you're in your calling when you're curious. That's about learning. That's about growth. Do you feel curious? Is there that excitement, curiosity? That's about calling. That's the kind of thing you're looking for. Calling. You know, when, we're, when we feel called, you know what you feel like? You feel confident. You feel confident. I am called. That's right. You feel confident. And you feel much less self-conscious. We're so self-conscious. What, if, what, what, what is he going to think about me? What does she think about me? What do they think about me? What are they going to say about me behind my back? What are they going to post about me on Facebook? Are they going to put that on the picture? What are they going to put on the caption? Am I going to be in the middle of a meme tomorrow? You know, you just never know what's going to happen. But you know what? You're in your calling. You don't feel self-conscious. You feel confident. You feel curious. And that's a great passage for time's sake. I won't read it. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Such confidence as this is ours because of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? That's exactly right. You know, uh, last year we were celebrating the civil rights and um, the work done in Selma. And, um, you know, this bridge is really curious. It's called the, um, obviously we're right in the middle of Selma, and this is the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And we have all these iconic photos from the bridge, Martin Luther King and all the civil rights workers, arm in arm, we shall overcome, marching down this bridge. And of course, we've got, you know, the hoses and the dogs and the cops and the whole thing. Edmund Pettus Bridge. This all happened on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Who's Edmund Pettus? 
He was there, the bridge was done 10 years earlier, 20 years before. He was the highest ranking member in the Ku Klux Klan in Alabama. They named this bridge after the highest ranking member in the Ku Klux Klan, Edmund Pettus. And this bridge was supposed to be a testimony to how he thought and what he believed and how culture and society was supposed to work. 20 years after his death, 10 years after the bridge is done, they've converted the bridge into one of the most iconic civil rights images that we have. And I just wonder how many bridges like that are in our life. Still got a lot of bridges that need to be converted. Still got a lot of people. Still got a lot of beliefs. Still got a lot of things in our life. God is so desperate, still calling us, still calling our city. Back to him. Edmund Pettus, let's get Edmund Pettus out of here. We've got to convert the bridge. And I want to ask us to get back to what really matters, what really counts. What really counts? How do you get back to what really counts? Well, what really counts? Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts, you guys know this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And we live in a world of measurables. What's your credit score? And what's your retirement? And what's your review say? And what's your zip code? And what's your, what's your car? And we have, we've got all these measurables. And Paul says, the only thing that counts, there's one thing that counts, faith expressing itself through love. And I believe that's a calling. I want you to find that thing inside of you. Faith. Faith. Expressing itself. Not just sitting in your back pocket. Expressing itself through judgment and hypocrisy. No! Through love. And this is where we go forward. How do we go forward? What's our next thing? we got a lot of great people here. We need a lot more people. How do we get more people? That's why you're here. And we need better marriages. Why, are you saying my marriage isn't bad? No. But marriage has always got to be growing or they get bad. We need families that are expanding. We need small groups. We need our campus ministries. We need service stuff. We need worship stuff. There's still so much more for us to do. Don't take that as Atlas holding on the world, you know, as this big burden. No, that's a need that takes us back to our call. And when we do that, we convert bridges, and we convert people, and we convert our hearts. Think about our church. It's still really young. Honestly, our whole movement of churches is really only about three or four generations old. Guys, that's, we're babies. We're babies. There's a lot more to learn. There's a lot more to grow in. Read more books. Yeah, good, good. But we got the Holy Bible with an amazing God that shows us how to live lives that really matter. We learn so much of that here in L.A. with friends, with ministers training us, and just with being with people that, that, that were very needed and needed a lot of help. We're so grateful to come back and think about our story and think about your stories and think about God's big story and what's going on in this place. 
Let's go home and think about the patterns that we live by. And some of the overwhelming stuff simply, simply takes us back to a great God that has the power and the specialty to change our hearts and change our minds. God bless you. God bless our church. Thank you so much for having us.